Hello and welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 415. I'm your host, Casey Maluli, and the streak continues. Yeah, four weeks in a row now, I think, or five? Five times this year that I've been on the podcast and the Jets have won. So we're going for six on Sunday. Who are they playing? Patriots. Uh, Big one. Big game. uh, Rumor has it, Brendan Maluli will be at the game. He will. We will both be there. I think the Jets are going to win. Why not? Let's keep it rolling. Is Bren going to be a, a streak? Streak buster? Streak buster or lose, a streak keeper alive? If they lose, he's never allowed there ever again. All right. I hope Just not. kidding. I'll go back to watching Red Zone at my house. There you <laughs> go. Let's lose this one. But, uh, we'll see. I'm excited. Should be a good time. Uh, we've got everyone, as you can tell, we've got everyone back around the conference table here ready to do the weekly podcast for the last week of October in 2022. And guys, I wanted to talk about something that has been, we've talked about it before, but it's been um, kind of a, this year has been a way for people to actually learn this lesson and, and to see it happening in real time. And that is the phenomenon of of the stock market moving ahead of the economic data that we're getting and the stock market bottoming before the economic data actually gets worse in this case. I know last week we talked about how it's weird how bad news is good news for the stock market. And I think that that kind of plays into this process. But uh, Michael Batnick, who blogs at The Irrelevant Investor, looked at um, this exact thing, he looks at he looked at how stocks bottom or when stocks bottom in relation to things like earnings, GDP, and payroll. He was referencing something that Michael Semblist from uh, J.P. Morgan wrote about, and he looked at the last, not the last six recessions, but six of the last recessions dating back to the mid-1950s. And the charts don't look all exactly the same, but the S&P 500 does bottom before earnings bottom, which speaks to that point. So, you know, we are in the third quarter of earnings season here so far in 2022, and we've gotten some some surprises and some, some surprises in both directions. What does this mean to you guys, or, or what do you guys have to say about um, the stock market moving ahead of the economy? I think that's happened a lot uh, over the years where things tend to get a little a little bit ahead of themselves. So I think that the idea of a recession happening sometime, you know, let's just dial the clock back to the beginning of this year. Stocks started selling off and interest rates started going up in anticipation of the economy being in a recession towards the end of this year. So we already took like a a 25% whack. The original theme that we heard at the beginning of this year, first quarter, was, hey, by the end of this year, we're going to be in a pretty serious recession. Let's sell stocks now. And so stocks started selling off. We didn't, you know, depending on whose definition, we didn't actually get into a recession. Uh, But I've seen this show before. And, you know, the old saying is that history doesn't, repeat, but it often rhymes. I think that ties in well with what Batnick was writing about. You know, one other thing that I'll just layer on top of this, 
After the 1987 stock market crash, virtually everybody who had the ability to speak into a microphone in front of a TV camera was saying, 1988, we are going to have a horrible recession. 34 years later, we are still waiting for the recession that never happened. And so uh, there's a lot of people out there who are saying 2023, we're going to have a recession. Or it may be late 23 into early 24, we're going to have a recession. That is way too far in advance to, to make any kind of prediction. I can't tell you if it's going to rain this afternoon. Yeah, so just to kind of walk back through those examples that um, Michael Badnick shared, he referenced the Eisenhower recession, which was the late 50s. So in that instance, the S&P bottomed in December of 57, and then earnings bottomed 12 months later in December of 58. In the mid-1970s, S&P bottomed in the fall of 74. Earnings bottomed again a year later in the fall of 75. The 80s, S&P bottomed summer of 82, earnings bottomed spring of 83. 1990, S&P bottomed in the fall of 91, earnings bottomed in January of 92. That was 15 months. In 2008-2009, the S&P bottomed in March of 2009, earnings didn't bottom till that summer, so that was six months. And then in COVID, S&P bottomed in March of 2020. And earnings didn't bottom until December, so that was nine months. So on average, it's about 10 months of a lag there. Of course, this isn't a hard and fast rule because the one ex- there are a couple exceptions, one of them being the dot-com era, the early 2000s, when earnings actually did lead the way down in the winter of 2001, and then the S&P didn't really bottom until the fall of 2003. So... We're not saying that this is a rule, but it it seems like the odds in this instance are, in fact, pointing to the market bottoming before earnings do. May I just speak a little bit about that 2000 to 2003 period? It was almost as if we went through two bear markets because in the fourth quarter of 99, the NASDAQ more than doubled. Think about that. The, the NASDAQ went from 2,500 uh, in September to 5,000 by the end of the quarter. That is outrageous. And so what happened through the first nine months of 2000 really was a NASDAQ implosion. That spilled over into a really dismal market in 2001, 2002. Uh, and it wasn't until March of 03 uh, that things really started picking up. Not quite the same, but yeah, we also went through a recession at the same time. Well, the, the other data on those charts that you said, the, the only thing that all of those charts had in common was that stocks bottom before the, all the other data points. So if we're talking about earnings or we're talking about GDP, I think the, the thing that I pull from that is that if you're looking for the data point that will get you in when stocks are bottoming, none of them are helpful. And I hate to, I hate to break it to everybody out there, but whether it's economic data, uh, earnings information, technical factors, none of them are going to get you in when stocks are bottoming. They're all going to be late to some degree and to different degrees over time. So it's not even like like we just walked through all the earnings ones. Big variance in terms of uh, if you waited for earnings to bottom, you could have been in as soon as a couple of months or you could have been uh, you know, a full year plus 
late to the party in terms of trying to time your exposure. So if, if that's what you're looking for, and a lot of people usually are looking for that, meaning like the secret, secret sauce, that's going to uh, help them figure out when stocks have bottomed for good, uh, it ain't out there. I feel like people also not like, not like that definitely, but also if they're waiting for not financial headlines and, and things to calm down too, it's like, Oh, we're the, the world is so crazy right now. And it's, you know, I'm going to wait for all of this to pass. And just the most recent example is probably one of the better examples going back through time in, in COVID. I mean, the market bottomed at the end of March of 2020. I mean, if you waited until all the COVID headlines and everything that all of that changed and things got better, still you, be waiting. Right, you might not even be back in the market at all. So there's oftentimes a very big disconnect between what's going on in the world and what the stock market is doing. Thanks for the nice segue, because part of what happened with the recession in 1990, we had Saddam Hussein going into Kuwait. And, uh, you know, the economy was tripping over into a recession. Part of that was based on what was happening with oil. And uh, things really started to slow down. The Fed started lowering rates and things started bottoming in October, but yet people were saying, I'm going to wait and see what happens with this potential war that we may have in Kuwait. And the day that they started Operation Desert Storm, uh, you know, flying into Kuwait, the market, I've never seen a market move like that. It moved like before my eyes, I think something like six or seven percent intraday before settling. Likewise, at the end of 2002, start, uh, you know, we started talking about weapons of mass destruction. You know, we were going through a recession, but yet we had all this other business that was going on in Iraq. And uh, then it was, okay, we're going to start amassing troops and we're going to start moving troops in. And nobody wanted to do anything until they said, I want to see what's going to happen with this ground war. And the day that we started moving troops on the ground into Iraq, not a happy day, but uh, the market exploded higher. And that was actually the beginning of a very, very good run in the market. So you would say, we're starting a war, that's bad, but it turned out to be a turning point for for many. Yeah, it can be disorienting, I think, for the everyday person who looks at the headlines like in 2020, X amount of people have COVID, market up 4%. Like it, it doesn't make sense if you just look at, you know, present day price action versus present day headlines, but that isn't really how the market operates. I think Michael said it in the post and, and we have said it quite a bit as well, um, that the, the market tends to be forward looking. So it's not necessarily reacting to what's going on now. It's more, um, trying to, predict or price in or price out, you know, what's, what's to come. Well, that's what I was going to say. I feel like it's so difficult because it's true that investing is, you shouldn't be investing for today. You're investing for tomorrow or what is going to be happening in six months or a year. But then that leads people to try and predict the future and invest based on that. And then how many times have we, have we stated statistics about how bad people are about predicting the future? It's impossible. You know? Yeah, if you if you want certainty on a day to day basis, you've come to the wrong place. Yep. 
I wanted to compare what Michael Batnick wrote about how the stock market bottoms before earnings and um, Morningstar had a piece out that said that according to historical multiple levels, so we're talking about forward price to earnings ratio for the S&P 500, if in fact the market is working through a bottom here in October of 22, this would be the most expensive bottom in terms of P.E. ratio that we've ever seen. So can you guys explain what is a P.E. ratio and, and kind of um, put that in layman's terms for our listeners? Sure. Yeah, it's just the price to earnings. I mean, so we're talking about stock prices uh, over you know, their earnings and prices are basically just trying to suss out over the long term what earnings are going to be because earnings are what drives the market over time. That's what makes results happen. So um, you talk about those multiples going down. Um, mostly so far this year have been driven by the P, uh, price coming down. Earnings have held up reasonably well. I mean, we've had some examples uh, of companies you know missing on earnings of course as you'll have every year but on the whole they've continued to be strong and so and so if we've seen negative price action so far that's compressed the multiples then to suggest it would go lower is to say that it hasn't priced in enough yet so there could be more more pain ahead at least based on uh, you know looking at what the averages have been historically when when the market has gone through rough stretches like this but it's also tough to say that because I know uh, not apples to apples because it's a different stat calculated differently. But if you look at something like like the Schiller P.E. ratio, uh, that's it's spent uh, virtually all of the last 40 years above its long term average. Uh, the only time it was beneath or at its long term average, in fact, was for a couple months uh, in 2009. And so um, not a timing tool. Uh, and that's not to knock or say that P-E ratios don't matter because I don't think anything is a timing tool, in my opinion. Historically, the forward P-E ratio for the S&P 500 over the last 25 years is between 15.5 and 16.5. Right now we're at, uh, or as of October 12th, so a couple weeks ago, the S&P was at 15.7. But uh, historically, the it's gotten a little bit more washed out after a 50% decline in October of 2002. Uh, it was 13 and a half, and then at the March COVID, March 2020 COVID bottom, it was 13. So we are ahead of those bottoms. Basically, the article was saying that if you apply that historically to where we are now, we could be in for a little bit more downside. If what they predict is going to happen is going to happen and we don't know. And so it's fair to say that the valuation on a forward looking basis is pretty fairly valued right in this ballpark where, where we are right now. I think, I think just as like a bigger picture idea, I don't have a super strong opinion about whether P ratios will be lower ultimately, or if that means there's more to come. I don't think that that's a game I'm very willing to play, but it's actually, if you're just looking in terms of like putting money to work, meaning you should feel better about buying stocks today than you did a year ago. But I, but I bet that nobody feels that way because a year ago we were all still buying stupid crap, like SPACs and crypto and all that dumb stuff has been washed out of the market. Now it, 
probably felt better to smash the buy button then during all the euphoria that we had continuing from 2020 and through most of last year in 2021. But whether it's the cheapest it's going to get over the next couple of years right now, or it's just relatively cheap compared to last year, I think, you know, you're probably doing yourself a service by, uh, by putting money to work at, at a lower multiple over the long term, that's going to mean that your results should be better than they would if you're buying a higher multiple. Agreed. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when they talk about the market PE, they're talking about the S&P 500. Correct. And so a year ago, Tim, you and I were having this conversation this morning. Mm -hmm. So a year ago, I took out an index card and it is still on my desk today over a year later that showed where a lot of these work from home stocks and these crazy uh, meme stocks were trading at. And now... Uh, when I wrote the card out, those stocks were down 50, some of them down 60 and 65%. Some of them are now down 90%. So for some people that invest in you know, high risk, high growth stocks, or just pure NASDAQ stocks, uh, they've been in a bear market a lot longer than um, some of the bigger, more established names that you're going to see in the S&P 500. Well, to, to be fair, some of those names have gotten taken to the woodshed too. Yeah. And you talk about like what people would consider like blue chip names like Facebook and NVIDIA and yep. Amazon. Yep. Uh, these are stocks that are in 40 plus percent drawdowns. Like th that's the pain that comes with owning even those quality companies, yep. companies we expect to live through this without going out of business like some of those other crappy companies that you were talking about. Right. I mean, they're, they're feeling the pain just as much yes. and, uh, and they were just as expensive and it was just as silly to play, pay those multiples a year ago as some of these other names that are maybe easier to dunk on. Uh, the, the, I agree with you a hundred percent. The point that I wanted to make is that people have been crying about how poorly the market's been for the last six months. It's really now going on 14 or 15 months that this has been happening. It, it, this lousy market action has been hanging around a lot longer than, than the man on the street realizes. Yeah, I think it's also just so counter counterintuitive to investor psychology, like you were getting at, Bren. I think people were people wanted to buy at this time last year, and now no one wants to buy. Right. But it's the exact if you look at it from a risk perspective, I mean the video that I put out was exactly speaking about this exact thing from a risk perspective this time last year was the riskiest time to be smashing that buy button and now the risk is far less than that right just based on what the price has done 100 percent. i think i saw that some of the other like not bitcoin some of the other cryptocurrencies that we were getting calls about around this time like cardano and like solano and those Coins, cryptocurrencies that no one really knew what they did. It was just one of those line go up circumstances. I think I saw they're they're down like ninety percent over this year, pretty much. I think for me, if if the last like two years in the market has has taught me anything, it's that the the numbers and and the historical precedents set are they're good and they're they're really all we have to go on. But it, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to get down to those historical. PE ratios before we bottom. How many unprecedented events have taken place over the last couple couple of years? They're unprecedented until it happens, and then it becomes precedented. So yeah, while while this potential bottom would be the most expensive 
bottom as as the article says it's like okay great it could still be the bottom it doesn't doesn't really mean anything in terms of you know going back in history just add it to the bunch and And, adjust the numbers from there and tim to add to your point and what casey said earlier I, i think what a lot of people forget is they say that if the if this is the bottom for the market then this is going to be the strangest bottom because we normally go down lower or to some valuation point or whatever. What they're forgetting to say is if we go into a recession, they, they never say that. And what if we don't go into a recession? Then it just looks like a normal pullback, which nobody likes to go through. But suppose we don't go into a recession, then these, these prices may look really attractive a year from now or two years from now. And to Brendan's point, you know what? Really, this is when you want to be thinking about uh, putting some money to work. To stop talking in terms of PE multiples and and put this another way that I've seen people trying to figure out are we at the bottom yet is I've seen people take the aggregate basically of recessionary bear markets or non-recessionary bear markets because we're trying to figure out which one we're in because obviously the non-recessionary ones bottom sooner. Um, So they take the aggregate of the, like the bear markets and just do like just do price. It's like the average non-recessionary bear market goes down X and the recessionary one goes down Y and we've already done this. And so here's where we are. And that doesn't tell you anything useful either. It's context. All it is is context. And, the, and the, I would say that the multiples are the same thing in the sense that you can look at it. And the, I think the appropriate time to look at stats like that is when you're trying to consider as an investor, how to align yourself and what the worst cases would be. But people ignore stuff like that. Like like a year ago, would have been a good time to consider, hey, we're currently at ratios like this. Uh, you know, if the market were to go into, if we were to enter a recession or go into a bear market from here, usually multiples contract to that. What kind of pain does that create for me as an investor with my specific portfolio? And am I set up in such a way that I can get through that? Because to Tim's point, if you're a long-term investor, then hopefully you've set yourself up to be able to survive these periods in the market because they're going to happen and we don't have the ability to predict them. But we do know contextually what they look like. And so you should be prepared for them at all times. But when the market's good for a number of years, people don't want to worry about the downside. They're, they're not worried about it anymore. And then when the downside comes, they're just worried about how it could possibly be worse. And I just think they're thinking of the wrong things at the wrong times there. I wish we could show the chart that we have in our conference room that I I look at when we're recording these podcasts because it's it's that chart from Carl Richards and it's exactly that. It's greed slash buy at the top and then in, at the bottom it's fear sell and then it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. It's true. It goes at this time in 2021. I mean, it's basically we're talking about the market peaking in late 2021 and that was a year ago. If you were trying to tell people a year ago about what multiples could contract to if we went into a recession, they would have laughed at you and asked you like what your price target for Cardano was or yeah. something. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. How fun you staying poor. You <laughs> would have been laughed out of the room. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's our job to keep people balanced in between the, the bottoms of 2022 and the highs of 2021. And that's why we talk about this stuff and, and, share the context and the historical precedent and how we're thinking about all this stuff. And um, it's our job to, to not get sucked into 
those extreme data points on, on both sides. So that is the message for episode 415 of the Luli Asset Podcast, guys. Thanks for joining me. We'll be back with you for 416 and hopefully another Jets W. Let's go. Keep it rolling. Thanks for listening. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.